Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Brian's been on good behavior this week because he knows that I talk about him when I preach. So he's been on very good behavior, so I would be somewhat nice to him today. But I couldn't do this without him. I think every sermon I've ever preached here, he's read it and edited it and given me feedback and told me where I would lose you and uh, he's a great asset to me. Okay, there we go. Okay. So I just wanted to start out and kind of tell you where I've been. It's been six years since I fought since I taught my first Bible study here. Six years ago, January, let's see, let me do my math, 2016, yeah, that's right. I taught a a Bible study on Philippians because I asked Pastor Tom if I could preach because I was beginning to walk in a speaking ministry, being trained, following what God had told me to do. And Pastor Tom in his wisdom says, "Mm, why don't we maybe teach a Bible study? And that was very wise. So I think I taught four Bible studies, Ephesians, Philippians, Hebrews, John, And then when I finally got to John, it was two years after I had first asked him to preach, and finally I asked him to preach again for the third time, I believe, and he said yes. So it's been six years that God has been doing this work in me, and I tell you what, I know what I lack, but I know what I don't lack. I know that I don't have quite the, the faith that Pastor Bishop has, or I don't quite flow in the prophetic like I've seen Jonathan flow. I can't quote every scripture with the reference. You'll hear me say, the Bible says. Pastor Tom would say, John 11 verse 21 says, but I just say, the Bible says, because I know if I had a second to Google it, I could give you the reference. But what I do have is courage. Amen. Because y'all, God tells me, Preach this, and I'm like, oh, Lord, anything but that. But I obey, and I just come under his hand, and I do it. Y'all don't know how many times I have faked it till I made it. I get up here scared, out of my skin, but I just, you know, put on my flashy jewelry and curl my hair, and I just fake it till I make it. But I want to say God is faithful when you step out with courage He does not stand you up. He does not stand you up. So I've been in this season where God is speaking to me about spiritual warfare. And y'all, I just like being the sweet little church lady. I mean, let me just teach you a little bit about grace. Let me teach you about the goodness of God. Let me just teach you about salvation. But sometimes I feel like spiritual warfare is above my pay grade. It is above my pay grade, it is not comfortable. And the message that I have today, I was sitting over there saying, God, I am the least likely messenger to bring this one. The least likely. But don't you know that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? So Holy Spirit, I pray today that the words that you give me, that they would be salt, that they would be light, that there would be truth, that there would be life-giving, that there would be powerful. And God, just like sometimes Holy Spirit knocks me out of my seat, God, I pray that you would knock some people off their seats today, in the natural and in the spirit, 
Brian was over there holding me. He's like, we don't want to face plant today. Don't want to get rug burned when I've got on my preaching clothes. But I pray that God will move you from where you are to a new place. And that's what God has done to me in the last month. And that's the source of this message. So we're going to talk today about the kingdom of God. If you'll go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 6. We're going to start with uh, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. There's going to be a lot of scripture today because anytime I'm trying to, to make a logical argument, I'm going to go to the word. So there's a lot of scriptures. Some of them I will go through quickly, but all but two scriptures should be on your handout, and the two that aren't there, if I remember, I've got a big red note, I'll tell you where they are. So you can go and, and you know, always go behind what people preach. Make sure they're preaching the truth. I am an infallible, is that right? Fallible, am I fa- I'm fallible, and <laughs> God's infallible. I, I make mistakes, and I don't always get it right, and I'm in a pattern of growing and learning. So go behind and study for yourself, Matthew 6. So the disciples that asked him, teach us to pray. And starting in verse 9, Jesus says, pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Those are three very powerful words. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Three powerful words, your kingdom come. And I've been preparing for a course that I'm teaching or a class on the kingdom of God. There's a ministry called Perspectives that is all about missions. It's um, across all denominations. It's not a particular church. And I've been invited, my friend Jen Augie in the red in the back, invited me, helped me get connected, and I'm teaching the class on the kingdom of God. And so I've been all over Christmas, I was in this book, looking up scriptures, learning about the kingdom of God, and uh, maybe I'll teach that another time. We know a lot of things about the kingdom of God, but the last two verses in the, in the book of Acts, Acts 28, 30 through 31, tells us what Paul did when he was in Rome, I guess under house arrest somewhat, Now, Paul stayed two full years in his own rented lodging and welcomes all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God. That is what was important, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the kingdom of God? This is on your handout. So if you look in the Bible, like we say the kingdom of God, there's kingdom business, kingdom mindset, kingdom women, kingdom men, kingdom this and kingdom that. But in the Bible, the kingdom of God is not just Israel. The kingdom of God is not the church. What the kingdom is, it's a dynamic authority. It's the rank, authority, and sovereignty exercised by the king. The kingdom of God is the rule by the king. It's the rule of the king. It's not a domain. It's not a realm. So it's, let me read it as it's written. The kingdom of God is a reign, not a realm. The kingdom of God is first and foremost the authority to rule. A couple scriptures 
Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Psalm 145, I made a mistake. It's either 11 or 13. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your might. I love this. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout the generations, throughout all generations. So the realm where God's, where God's rules is heaven and earth, but the realm will not last forever. Scripture says heaven and earth will pass away, but guess what won't pass away? His rule, his kingdom is going to last forever. So the kingdom isn't the physical place where we are. This is all going to pass away. The kingdom is God's right to rule over the earth. We overuse this word as an adjective. It's a reign. It's a reign, not a realm. What is the church? The church is a community of people who obey Jesus Christ as Lord and serve him together. That's what we are. But the kingdom of God is God's right to rule. Why does he have the right to rule? Because he is. He says, I am, Yahweh, I am. So there's a threefold purpose for the kingdom of God. The first one is to destroy, and I'm sorry, to defeat and eventually destroy evil. So when you think about why does the kingdom of God exist? What is its purpose? What is it doing in the earth? It is defeating and destroying evil. We're gonna look at how Jesus started this. Why, what's the motivation? Number one, to bless and redeem people. So y'all, it is not all about us. It's about destroying evil. It's everything we go through is just not all about us. It's not about did I get to eat chocolate during my fast or did I get to watch my favorite TV show during my fast? No. It's about God wanting to destroy evil in the earth. There's a grand plan and us and chocolate and TV shows and Netflix it's just a minor thing. It's just a minor thing. I want to help your perspectives because we see the things we go through is so horrible and this and that, but we are just in a battle. We are in a battle. We are in a battle. I'm going to explain that more fully, but God's third purpose, the third purpose of the kingdom of God is for God to bring glory to himself and to bring about this relationship with his people. So yes, there, we are behind God's thoughts of the kingdom of God. His purpose is to destroy evil. Why? To bless us, to redeem us. We are his motivation. He is reclaiming what was lost in the garden. Let's look at that. The problem of evil. Turn with me to Genesis 3. Oh, my husband says for me to calm down. <laughs> can't help it. Woo, Genesis 3, starting with verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning. This is in the Garden of Eden. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of I'm sorry, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. 
But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Verse four, the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of the fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband with her and he ate. So we have this problem. God had a problem, a twofold problem. One, and I'm not covering this, but, but you should understand this or Google it and find it in your Bible, but one of God's angels fell. His name was Lucifer. We call him Satan. He disobeyed God, and he was in rebellion to God. He deceived God's creation, this woman, and through the woman, the man, he deceived them. And then so suddenly we have humans in rebellion. So we have Satan in rebellion against God. We have humans in rebellion. But God had a plan. Skip down to verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman. <laughs> and I, yeah, I have a snake stick in my garden that I use to kill snakes. I am an enemy <laughs> to snakes. Any woman knows that there's something about snakes and a woman. I will make enemies of you and the woman. And of your offspring and her descendant, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So God had this twofold problem. Satan in rebellion, humans in rebellion. The humans chose to be independent from the will of God. So he needed a twofold strategy, a strategy concerning Satan. What was that? It was to thwart darkness, to rescue the people. God always wanted to bring the people back. His second strategy, redeeming people through Christ. So God's strategy, overcome darkness, bring the people, well, let's see, let's do it this way, overcome darkness to rescue the people and to bring them back to him through Jesus Christ. So this was a plan that overthrowing evil would benefit mankind. We're, we get all tangled up. We're, we're in this, just your perspective has to look at, at the world we live in as a, as a war, what is it, a war zone, battle zone, what do you call it? War zone. We are in a war zone. There is war going on all around us and sometimes it hits us, sometimes we're casualties of war. But there's a war going on. And God's purpose of his kingdom is to overcome evil. It's to win the war. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's doing. That's what he's going to do. And he uses us to do that. So God's promise was to crush this satanic kingdom, thwarting darkness in order to rescue humankind. How would he do this? 
He would do it through Jesus. Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, and this is when Daniel was having visions in the night. Verse 13, I was looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, to him, the Son of Man, it's Jesus. He refers to himself as Son of Man in the New Testament. And to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom to the Son of Man. So that, I always love the so that, so that all the peoples and the nations and the populations of all languages might serve him. So we see the Son of Man giving a, given a kingdom that's gonna overcome the darkness so that we might serve him, everyone on the whole earth. The next part of the verse says, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So even when it looks like the kingdom is losing, the word says, it's never gonna pass away. It's never gonna pass away. It will never be destroyed. It may look temporarily like the battle lines have been moved and it's being defeated, but the word says. And we just have to know that, that in the end, God's gonna win. God's gonna win. That is the truth. God said he would crush it. He would send the Messiah to do this, to redeem us. So I want to give you a little bit of background of, of what kind of happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament times. I'm taking a course in seminary that's, I'm going to clear my throat, okay? Daniel, can you mute, mute me for just a second? <coughs> Something's not quite right, but I'm just working through it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just pushing through. <laughs> I am pushing through. So during the time of the Old Testament, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you may, you may know in your Old Testament history that the Jews were, well, the, the Israelites were taken into captivity by Assyria. The Jews were taken into captivity by Babylon right around 600 B.C. And then later the Persians conquered them. And then later there came Alexander the Great. Am I getting it right, honey? He's been tutoring me in my history, and I've been reading too. And then there was a time between about 150 B.C. and 60 B.C., I believe, when the Jews actually won their own freedom. They won their freedom from the descent or the, 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 the heirs of the Greek kingdom. They won their own freedom, but then the Romans came. So during this time, there was great oppression of the Jews. There was great persecution, and for a while, when they first went into captivity, they thought, well, God's punishing us, because that's exactly what the prophet said would happen. If you don't, you don't obey, then this is going to happen. And in that time, yes, God chastened them, but then eventually, um, under King Cyrus, they got to go back to Jerusalem. They kind of were scattered all over the world, the, what is it, diaspora? Yes, thank you. Who said thank you? Thank you. Call a friend. Thank you for helping me. So after a while, they thought, well, something more is going on here than God's chastening. And they developed this way of looking at, at what was happening to them called the apocalyptic worldview. Basically, what they saw is what we now understand as believers who are fighting the kingdom of darkness. They began to understand that 
the world they lived in was in a cosmic battle between good and evil. They began to see, hey, there's good and evil, and sometimes we're getting hit in the crossfire. But they had hopes that someone would rise up that would deliver them from the oppression of other countries, someone who would rule. Someone, actually they wanted to get rid of all the Gentiles too. Let's just get rid of all these Gentiles where, while we're at it. So they had hopes for this Messiah that would come and bring this whole world uh, war to a finale, who would vanquish Satan. But they understood that the world was just in a crossfire in this conflict. So this is what we need to understand when we go to the New Testament and we look at the acts of Jesus, is we need to understand this apocalyptic worldview and the way they viewed the acts of Jesus was they were acts of war. Now Jesus just didn't go up and say, oh honey, you're sick, be healed in the name of Jesus. Jesus loves you. Be healed. No. He said, be, be healed in the name of Jesus. He was a warrior. Now, he was compassionate. When he saw people that were hurting and broken, he had compassion. He wept when Lazarus died. But then he went and said, Lazarus, come forth. When he saw someone demonized, he said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. It was not just a, oh, honey. I remember one time I was having deliverance. It was like everybody at this conference lined up to cast demons out of Lisa. And I needed it at that point. And there was one lady, she was like, God loves you so much. You're going to be okay. She was obviously new. And I was so waiting for this lady named Miss Carrie, who's a little bit like Miss Addie. And she got up there with her brown glasses, and she was like, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. And I was like, yeah, somebody who finally knows how to do this. Fighting with the enemy is not sweet. It is not gentle. It is violent. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The violent take it by force. Jesus' acts of healing, deliverance, speaking to the storm, raising the dead, they were acts of war because the Jews knew there was a war going on. Now, Jesus was not the Messiah they fully expected because he did not come and overthrow Rome. He did not establish his kingdom at that moment. He suffered. It was not. He was not the one they expected. But he was one who overcame darkness to liberate people. He pushed back the darkness to set people free. There were acts of war. Acts of war. Let me find where I am. So Jesus, they were kind of confused about Jesus because, you know, he was born, as, you know, as a baby in a manger. He was not everything they thought he would be. And they even asked, are you the coming one or is there someone else coming? And he's like, the blind see, the dead, deaf hear, the dead are raised. I'm the coming one. So Jesus was exerting the authority of God in an unexpected way. How am I doing with time? I'm going to skip that. I'm so proud of myself. I didn't even look at the time until I walked up here. I took my watch off. I'm learning to flow. The longer I had to wait meant God could spend more time preparing me. So I'm growing. 
couple things about Jesus. Amen. Hebrews 2:14 says, "Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil." 1 John 3:8, the second half says, "The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil." So the way that some of my seminary classes present this, some of the books I read is Satan has been defeated. He's not yet completely destroyed. But he has been defeated and he will be destroyed. Jesus is going to return, establish the kingdom. So how does Jesus deal with Satan? There's a verse in Matthew 12 about tying up the strong man that we all often use in terms of deliverance ministry. But as I read this, I want you to think about Jesus and Satan. Matthew 12, 28 through 29. They're, ask, they're saying Jesus was casting out demons by the, the power of the devil. But Jesus says, but if I cast out the demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's important. And then Jesus says, how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first ties up the strong man, and then he will plunder the house. Jesus came to tie up the strong man, who was the devil, who was ruling over the earth. Jesus came to tie him up so that he could plunder, so Jesus could plunder the house, so Jesus could redeem us from the forces, the powers, the captivity of darkness. Luke 12, which is a different version of this same story, um, verse, I'll go with 22, says, but when someone stronger than he, the strong man, think about, so when someone stronger, which is Jesus, than the strong man attacks him and overpowers him, that man takes away his armor on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. So Jesus has come, he came, and he did overcome the strong man over this earth. This is what Jesus came to do. It was all about his teaching, his exorcisms, his healing, his deliverances, his raising the dead, speaking to the storm. It was all about overcoming the strong man, and I believe to show us how to do it. Why do you think it's all written in the Bible? Jesus said we would do greater works because he goes to the Father. It's all written in the Bible as an example for us of how we are to react to the things around us. These things were acts of war. So I want to quickly, I'm going to do one thing. We're going to quickly look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. I'm going to preach till I'm finished. If y'all finish before me, I just bless you to go. But I'm going to preach till I'm finished because I think I'm part of laying that new track. <laughs> I'm going to give you some things to think about this week. So Jesus taught a lot of parables in the book of Mark, but the only place where it mentions Jesus preaching is in Mark chapter 1. I'm just going to show you a few snippets in Mark chapter 1. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's here. It's right here. It's here now. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
The rest of the book of Mark, which is a very fast-moving 16 chapters, shows what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God is at hand. We'll just look at a couple things in um, chapter 1. In, chap- in uh, Mark 1, 23 through 25, verse 23, Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cl- cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. The kingdom of God had come upon them. Verse 26 says, the unclean spirit came out. Mark 1, 30 through 31, now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And they immediately spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she served him. The, the, um, the, what's the word? (laughs) The passage in Luke about the same thing, um, Luke 4, 39 says, he rebuked, the parallel passage, that's the word I'm looking for, he rebuked the fever, is how it describes what happened here. Mark 1, 32 Now when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill, and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. Mark 1.39 says he went into their synagogues preaching and casting out demons. So just in chapter 1, you know, the next thing he does is he heals someone with leprosy. But he demonstrates what it means that the kingdom of God is at hand. It means the sick are healed. The demonized are delivered. That's what the kingdom of God coming means. That's just chapter 1. Later we know in Mark 4, he spoke to the storm. He said, peace, be still. He spoke to a natural disaster. It says it was a fierce gale of wind. Waves were breaking over the boat. He spoke to it. He didn't ask it nicely. There are times I have to be rude. It's hard for me to be rude, but every now and then, I have to GE people is what I call it. I have to rise up and be rude. Sometimes, I mean, every now and then, you just have to be forceful with people. Jesus was not always gentle in that way because he carried the authority of God and he was establishing the kingdom of God. He was pushing back the darkness and expanding the kingdom. He was abolishing darkness. He was advancing the kingdom. The kingdom of Satan was diminishing. The kingdom of God was increasing. It was a pushback, a moving of the battle lines. You can't move the battle lines by being sweet. You can't move the battle lines by saying, gosh, I wish this thing would leave me now. (laughs) No. You have to be violent. You have to be violent. And y'all, I am speaking to myself. I don't know how to do this yet. I'm still learning. I'm still figuring it out. But what I saw was the model of Jesus. And Jesus said for us to follow him. And Jesus violently went against sickness and demonization, death, natural disaster. He was compassionate, but he was at war. 
So Jesus raised the dead three times, uh, Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, the son of the widow at Nain. So every healing, deliverance, exorcism, raising of the dead was a win for the kingdom of God and a loss for Satan. The battle lines moved every time. Acts 10.38. There's some verses that kind of summarize what Jesus did. This is in Luke's book of Acts. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, I want to tell you the truth this morning. I looked this verse up in the Greek, and that word all, it's really there. It's pos, kind of like, pos me the mashed potatoes. Pos, P-A-S. It's right there. You can look blue letter Bible. You can get out a Greek New Testament. That word all is in the book. He healed all. It didn't matter because to Jesus, it was all pushing back the kingdom of Satan and advancing the kingdom of light. Didn't matter who they were. That is what Jesus did. Setting people free. So I want to talk about, well, what do we do? We know in the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into, Jesus said, first he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to follow all I've commanded you, and I'm always with you to the end of the age. So Jesus said, I'm giving you the authority, go. In Mark 16, the kind of the Great Commission there, verses 15 through 18, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Verse 17, these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay the hands on the sick and they will recover. So this church knows There's a, I want to, there's going to be some quotes you're going to see on your outline, and I may have already skipped over a couple, by Gregory Boyd. Um, He had written an article in in one of my perspectives books that I had to read, and it's called God at War. And then I've been reading the book called God at War. Our library has it. You can get it digitally um, from our library for free. But in, in the first half of the book, it's all about this spiritual war that we're in. But I believe this church is is grounded in knowing that we're in a battle between good and evil. We know that. Ephesians 6, 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the wicked forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. But we get stuck sometimes. I know I get stuck. I'm going to move for just a second. We get stuck because we try to figure out why something has happened to someone. Why are they sick? Just like the disciples. The disciple says, why was this one blind? Why was he born blind? I think it's John 9. Is that right, honey? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? It was the disciples who asked why. Jesus never asked why. Now, Jesus said for this one, it was for the glory of God. And sometimes we'll take a verse and make a whole theology out of it. But Jesus never asked why. 
Jesus did, never said, is it? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there. Okay, um, Daniel, can you show the video? Is it ready, the short video? Okay, I have a friend who's been coming to Global River and I've been somewhat um, teaching her a little bit about spiritual warfare and um, she came and we met with Pastor Tom. She's been coming to the, the tent and it turned out as I was working through these things, we were reading the same book or a book by the same author. This is her, go ahead, Lisa. Hi, my name is Lisa and Lisa Moore asked me to share with you a few phrases that people spoke to me when I was fighting a rare type of cancer just a few years ago. People would say the most intriguing and interesting things, such as God's got this, God has a plan, there's a reason for everything, or the most humorous one in my book, God gives the hardest missions to the most mighty of warriors. Well, as I know God in the scriptures, he's good and loving and kind, and I can't imagine he would ever give me cancer. My own father on earth is a wonderful man, and he would never give me sickness or illness or anything that would hurt or harm me. And so with that in mind, I have searched the scriptures to seek out God and understand him. We do live in a broken and fallen world, and I think it's because God has given us the choice to accept him or reject him, and our choices lead to consequences. And cancer might be one of those. But God is good and loving, and he does not uh, give me cancer. Amen. She's trying to make sense of her experience and what people say. Um, there's an image if, of a young boy, if y'all could show this. This young man, his name was Zach Mayo, and he died in um, 2011. And there were many people, um, Katie Naif that was part of this church was great friends with this family. There were many, many people who interceded for him to live. And his parents, when I followed this back when you followed on Caring Bridge, it's kind of pre-Facebook, and I followed it pretty much from the beginning of his diagnosis, and the parents would not allow negative words spoken in his hospital room. They were very careful. They walked in faith, and he died. And when he died, it just crushed me. Before he died, I was a pa well, let's see if I can say this with humility. Yeah, I was a warrior. I was a warrior. I knew how to war. I knew how to use my weapons of war, but when he died, it rendered me powerless. Why? Because I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I got caught up in this intellectual thing going on, trying to figure out God and his ways. And so then when the next person came with cancer, well, I didn't understand. I didn't understand because y'all, if I clearly believe it's God's will, I am going to pray like a mad woman. But if I'm confused, I'm just going to be stuck in confusion. And I've been stuck in confusion for about 11 years. That's why you haven't heard me teach about faith, have you? Have you heard me teach about faith? No. Have you heard me teach much about warfare? No. Because I've just been trying to figure it out. I don't want to teach you something that I don't understand and fully believe to be true can teach you about the grace of God, the character of God. I can teach you about the covenant. I can teach you about Jesus being the high priest. But faith has eluded me because I got confused and stuck trying to figure out why. But what has happened to me as I've um, read some of these articles about the kingdom of God 
is Jesus didn't stand there and try to figure out why. He just acted. He knew he was part of a war. He knew that there were people that were injured, hurt, ill, demonized, dead, that were casualties of war, and he acted. He acted. The disciples wanted to figure out why. He just acted. He didn't go off and God, you know, is this your will? Is this not your will? Is it their sin? The parent? This is clearly the consequence of their sin. He just acted. He acted. He was compassionate, but he revolted against illness and demonization and death. He had a holy rage. He overcame. He vanquished. He abolished evil. And I still don't know the answers to everything. I just read a lot of philosophy this week. That stuff hurts my head. I had to go to Kohl's on Friday. I was so done. I did. Like 10 o'clock on Friday, I was like, I cannot do any more seminary. I cannot read any more Augustine worldviews. I am out of here. I found me this shirt, this necklace. And then I could get back to reading about the history of the Christian church and Y'all, I'm a simple person, and I don't know everything, but this is what I do know. If Jesus has left me an example to follow, I can follow that. I don't have to know the why. If Jesus left me an example to confront evil, to confront illness, to confront demonization, to confront death, to confront disaster, by the grace of God, I can follow Jesus. I don't have to know why. I'm not going to know why. I don't need to know why. I just need to do what Jesus did. And so I know this is messing with some of y'all today because it's messed with me for clearly 11 years. Trying to understand. I've got some quotes. I'm just going to read them to you. Should be on your handout. This is where it's, I'm going to call this food for thought. And I did have three different people kind of read through some of the things I'm presenting because I don't want to lead you astray. But I'm just going to call this food for thought because this is what was the light bulb for me. Jesus never, and these are the words of Gregory Boyd in God at War. Jesus never once appeals to a mysterious divine will to explain why a person is sick, maimed, or diseased. In every instance, he comes against such things as the byproducts of a creation that has gone berserk through the evil influence of a satanic army. Many times, not every time, he attributes sicknesses to direct demonic involvement. The second one, in our, word, our Greek word sozo, does, when you see the word saved, healed, or delivered, it's the same word. It's all one thing wrapped up together. Jesus came to save, heal, and deliver. Um, it's, Another quote says, our problem of evil is not the same problem that Jesus and his um, disciples confronted. And I'll just add, you know, we have the worldview of Augustine and later Martin and Luther. That is what causes us to think how we think about illness and disease. Back, you know, third, fourth century, we're still thinking the way they wanted us to think. But Jesus didn't have that problem. So if one believes that a good and wise divine purpose ultimately lies behind the sickness, disease, and atrocity that make the world a nightmarish place, then one, I can't say that, subtly shifts the problem of evil from something one has to war against to something one has to think through. Wow. 
I've been thinking through this thing for 11 years, and it's left me powerless. So he says, thus the problem of evil becomes a problem of explaining intellectually how an all-good and all-powerful God could will what certainly are evil deeds of the devil. We just sit and try to figure it out instead of doing anything. The last quote, when we trade problems in this fashion, we have surrendered a spiritual conflict we are commissioned to fight and ultimately win for an intellectual puzzle we can never resolve. On this side of heaven, we are never going to understand God in his ways. But we can follow Jesus' example. If instead we followed the example of our Savior, our basic stance toward evil in the world we would be characterized by revolt, holy rage, social activism, and aggressive warfare, not pious resignation, not powerlessness, not just sitting and trying to figure things out. Y'all, you can study worldviews. This is kind of called the warfare worldview that we're caught in a cosmic battle and there are casualties at war of war and we need to go and rescue them. But ultimately what I wanna leave you with is this. I don't. I don't have any more notes for what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What I wanna leave you with is this, that even if you don't get the worldview, even if you don't understand the philosophy, even if you're still confused about did God allow this or did God permit it or why did it happen, what I wanna leave you with is this. Jesus didn't sit and do all that thinking that would leave him powerless. He just acted, and we're to follow his example. And so when, this, when we face the same things, we might not understand. We might not know the cause of something. It might be the consequence of something that they did. It might be caused by whatever, but that does not matter. We're to act like Jesus did. We are to move the battle lines. We are to advance the kingdom of God by pushing back the kingdom of the enemy. We don't have to understand it. We just need to look at Jesus. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? He would confront the thing and not sit and think about it for 11, 10 years. Yes, sir. Hmm. Okay. All right, so this is called Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. There's a reader, and this is a study guide, and I told him I could teach the biblical part, because I'm good, well, I don't want to say I'm good at teaching the Bible. I have some experience teaching the Bible. I'll say it that way. So, um, <laughs> I'm looking at you to say, what do I do now? I should ask God. Okay. So, has anyone been like me? Has anyone been powerless in the face of disease, demonization, the things that happen? So I'm going to pray, and we're just going to see where it goes. How about that? Okay, why don't y'all stand up? And Pastor Tom, you can jump in. Y'all can jump in and help me whenever you want to. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we just come to you first of all, and we just, we repent. We repent for 
in our pride thinking we needed to understand everything. We repent for all of our lofty explanations of why the world is the way we see it. We repent of all the things we have said to people that have hurt them. We repent, God, for a, um, a lot, no, mis, what's the word, misaligning? Mal- maligning, that's it. We repent for maligning your character, God, for blaming you for the evil that is just part of the war, the war that's going on in this world. God, we know that you're going to win. We know you're going to win. We can just rest knowing these things are just happening. The battle lines are moving. God is going to win. But God, we, we repent for being powerless. And God, today we say, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to follow Jesus. Help us to do what Jesus did and the greater works because he went to you, God. Give us the the boldness, the power, the courage to look disease in the eyes and say, be gone in the name of Jesus. I look disease in this room right now. I say, be gone in the name of Jesus. I declare in this room that the battle lines are moving, that bodies are being healed, that eyes are being healed, that sickness is is being healed, I declare that um, injuries from accidents that are part of this war that we're in, I declare people are being healed from injuries. I look you in the eye injury and I say, go in the name of Jesus. I look demonization in the eye and I say, you cannot stay. Go, I push back the lines. I have not a clue what I'm doing, but I can do what Jesus did. And he said, go. He said, go in the name of Jesus. I speak to the dead things, and I say, come forth. I speak to the laden warriors. I speak to the sleeping giants in each one of you, and I say, wake up. Wake up. Come forth. Come forth.